Hi, this is Steve Robinson welcoming you to another in a series of podcasts from Sadie Records. Every time Sadie comes out with a new album, we do a podcast. And we're very fortunate today to be talking about a really remarkable new release on CD. It's titled Notorious RBG in Song, and it features Patrice Michaels, soprano, and she's accompanied at the piano by Kwong Hao Wong. Now, if there was ever a family album, this is it, because the album is a tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Patrice Michaels is Ruth's daughter-in-law. She also is one of the composers on the album. The album is produced by Justice Ginsburg's son, and many of the songs on the album are about members of Justice Ginsburg's family. So I don't know how more family-oriented an album could be. It's probably the most family-oriented album in history. Patrice Michaels, great to have you here. And Jim, welcome to the mic. Always Thanks a pleasure. so much. What do you think about doing the most family-tied album in, in history? Well, <laughs> I guess if you count important historical events, maybe it trumps the Fun Trap family singers. <laughs> It's just a natural outgrowth of a really simple gift that Jim and his sister Jane wanted to give their mom. Five years ago, when she turned 80, they decided they wanted three songs by three women composers. And they knew that there was enough material written about their mom that they could basically use texts that were tribute texts. So Stacy Garrup and Vivian Fung and I were each given a different text. And when my text turned out to be so much fun and so enlightening, both about how an unknown individual could be changed by Ruth Bader Ginsburg's work, then the wheels started turning for me. And I couldn't stop until I had nine songs that really showed a wide range of her life experiences, her family's experiences, and, of course, her dissenting opinions. Jim, let's talk a bit about the concept of the album. We've just heard a bit about it. Five composers that are heard and how it all came about. Well, as Patrice mentioned, the Genesis was, in fact, the 80th birthday, and her text ended up being the middle song in the cycle, was by the typist at my father's law firm who used to type up my mother's notes as she put it brought to her on these handwritten notes on these yellow legal pads and about her conversion basically to feminism as a result. And that became the middle. And Patrice can, I think, talk better than I can about her conception of going back to even before mom, just the idea of women at the Supreme Court all the way to the present with the last song is my mother's advice to presidents on what they should look for in a Supreme Court justice. And we're talking here, to be clear, about your composition, Patrice, called The Long View, a portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in nine songs. That's right. And this is a song cycle. And then there are four other compositions on the album, all by women, except for mm-hmm. the last one, Laurie Leitman, Vivian Fung, and Stacey Garrup. Well, let's talk about your song cycle. Uh, when did you actually write it? I started working on the texts, assembling what I thought was a reasonable through line of history and a complete way of looking at her probably a year after that 80th birthday. So for the last three years, I've been in the Library of Congress looking through her boxes of materials, interviewing formally with her relatives, asking her questions, and I had to actually write a couple of the texts, one because 
her mother, whom she reveres more than pretty much anybody, except maybe her husband. None of the papers or letters exist from Ruth's growing up time. Hmm. I knew that Celia Amsterbader had to be included, so I got the idea to have a representation of a letter that Celia might have written to Ruth when Ruth was away at camp, which she was every summer. And the last summer of Ruth's high school years, Celia knew that she was dying of cancer. So it seemed to me a very reasonable thing to try to imagine what Celia would write under those circumstances and what Celia would think between the lines. So I interviewed several people and came up with a letter that I eventually brought with quaking knees to my mother-in-law, and she had only two very small corrections to make. And in true RBG form, one of them was perfect because Celia Amster had been one of the women campaigning for voting rights for women. And I had written in her words, where is my strength when I marched as a suffragette, which immediately brought forth its suffragist. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a lot of fun and an incredible experience to dig that deep into the family lore and also have to come up with words as well as music. So the words took a lot longer than the music. Once I had the words in order, I could knock out a song pretty quick. It's quite a tribute to you that you brought your own lyric to your mother-in-law, imagining a letter that her mother might have written, and Justice Ginsburg made a very tiny little correction. Well, living in the world of the Ginsburg family for a few years and really thinking about it and then having access to so much historical material, I really want to thank the biographers for giving me access to their material, for sitting with me, for sharing with me. We've had some wonderful experiences together. And it's just amazing to have this living history to work with. We'll hear a number of tracks from The Long View, subtitled A Portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in Nine Songs. We were talking there about the second one. The first one we're going to hear is called Anita's Story. We'll hear that in its entirety, that one song. Tell us about it. Well, that's the one that Jim was mentioning as the initial song that kicked off the whole idea for the cycle. Anita Luaz Ramos de Escudero came not too long before this story occurs from Spain as an immigrant to New York City because she had very good typing skills. She was immediately placed in the typing pool of a pretty fancy law firm. And it just happened that Martin D. Ginsburg was looking for a really good typist for his professor wife's papers because professor wives at Rutgers didn't have their own staff. So he'd bring hundreds of pages of her legal material and have Anita type them. So Anita, who also happened to be a flamenco dancer, is reading all this stuff about sex-based discrimination and (laughs) things she'd never thought about and imagining somebody that must be like Georges Sand, you know, a really aggressive, loud, big, cigar-smoking, mannish female. That's who she was imagining Martin D. Ginsburg was married to. So when Martin walked in in his shirt sleeves, which was also pretty unusual for those days in a fancy law firm, said, ah, my wife's coming in today. Anita thought, oh, my God, here she comes, la estraña. 
in the original letter, she wrote the weird one. <laughs> right. But then it turned out to be Ruth in her little tiny voice, her little tiny self. And that day, apparently, she was wearing a green dashiki. And dashikis, of course, were all the rage for everybody in the 1960s, African-style long dress. So all the stereotypes were blown apart for Anita. And then the kicker, the end of the story, when she goes home on vacation to Spain and is introduced by her husband as, this is my wife, she just bursts out. And then she worries that it's going to be a mistake. But she gets a big payoff from the host's grandmother, who just happens to also be 80 years old, which is exactly how old Ruth was when this song was written for her. Well, let's listen to the fifth movement from this nine-movement song cycle, The Long View, a portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in nine songs. This is the movement entitled Anita's Story, and it's sung for us by the composer, Patrice Michaels, and she's accompanied by Kwang Hao Huang. Back in Sevilla, back in Sevilla. 
Anita's Story, a composition by Patrice Michaels, the performer in the song. She was accompanied at the keyboard by Kwang Ha Wong, and it's from a brand new CD release entitled Notorious RBG in Song. Now, Patrice, this is a nine-movement song cycle, The Long View. Let's start at the beginning. What's the prologue like? Well, it's designed to set up the whole premise that RBG is really important as a woman for women and that notoriety also becomes notorious. In the middle of World War II, things were getting pretty dire here in the States in terms of young clerk help at various courts around the country. And Justice Douglas in D.C. was starting to wonder where he was going to get his next set of clerks and wrote to one of his friends at a law school in Seattle asking if he really had been sent all of the possibilities, and if women were being considered, he could imagine that perhaps if someone was really special and absolutely first rate, he might take a woman. So I thought that was a really great place to start the whole premise, that even while Ruth was alive, this was still a really nascent idea. And of course, the fact that she was never approved for a clerkship by the time she was qualified to be one, she was perceived as having three strikes against her. One being that she was female, one being that she was Jewish, and one being that she was a mother. And this despite graduating first in her class at Columbia Law School. So it seemed to me that Justice Douglas's words had a nice ring to start out with, and I embedded something in my compositional plan that sets the tone as well for the whole period of history. Justice Douglas prided himself on being a real outdoorsy guy and a man's man, but he also really liked ladies. So for his theme, people who know folk music and are listening carefully will hear a folk music song called Pretty Little Girl with the Red Dress On. So that's the prologue, subtitled Foresight. We've talked about the second movement, Celia, an imagined letter from 1949. And then the third movement is Advice from Morris. 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 Oh, I wish I had met Morris. Morris is Jim's grandpa. And Morris Ginsburg had the best possible advice for Ruth when she was, in fact, pregnant, Jewish, and female, and trying to decide if she could handle law school. He said, look, you got to stop feeling sorry for yourself and just do it. If you want to do it, you'll find a way. And this is when women going to law schools was almost unheard of. And this was in the form of a letter to her? or No, this was just a conversation 
Morris was a self-made man himself, wasn't he? Oh, yes. The classic American story you know, went from like stock boy at Montgomery Ward to vice president of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And always with this attitude that at least I've heard about and I think has actually been transmitted down through his son, Martin, whom I did have the pleasure of knowing, and then through his grandson, Jim, always with this sort of cheerful, jovial, let's have some fun with it attitude. Turns out he was a really good dancer, which sadly has not been transmitted down through the generations. <laughs> so I put a jazz waltz along with his thematic material, which is based on the initials of his name. It's a, just a fun little piece. That's the third movement, advice mm-hmm. from Morris. This might be a good time for you to explain a little bit of your uh, compositional process and the way you use motives throughout the cycle. Because each piece is such a personality profile. It was very easy for me to want to embed initial material, material from each person's initials as motivic material. Everybody that you hear from in the cycle has a three-note motive, and it's used in some way. Obviously, Ruth is the person who you hear from the most, and her initials work out to be a major sixth and then a third, which also, if you grew up when I did, you know as the NBC theme song. Do, do, do. So slightly ironic that that time period fits together so nicely with her motivic material. Also because jazz happens to be the foundational music in my life and the music I always go back to. And so much of this storyline happens in a really fantastic age of jazz in the U.S. I use a language that is very recognizably jazz-oriented in harmony. And the fourth movement, and we're going to hear it, is called On Working Together. Tell us about that one. On Working Together is Martin D. Ginsburg's story, publicly spoken, about the one case that he and his wife worked on together. And as always with Marty, he was never one to let the truth get in the way of a good story. So my favorite example of that is his repetitious statement that the room that he worked in at night at home, when they were both working at home, his room was really small. Now, I took that at face value when I first read this document that he created shortly before he passed away. But in talking about it with my mother-in-law, I learned that, of course, he actually had the room. She had to work on the dining room table. She didn't even have a room. So just by twisting this a little bit, Marty set up the situation of the two lawyers working in their home at night on their various cases, one in a huge room and one in a little tiny cramped room. And the poor little tax lawyer brings this little tax case to his fancy social justice lawyer wife. And she doesn't want to look at it. But then when she does, she realizes it's a fantastic case for both of them. So it's a hilarious story. Very sadly, he was not able to deliver this story as an address to a conference that was planned because he passed away. So, of course, his wife, this was maybe three weeks after he passed away, about a month afterwards, she went to that conference and she delivered it. It was the conference of the 10th Judicial Circuit, which is where the case that they argued was originally presented. Just phenomenal. Note a sidebar about this. When mom delivered the speech in 2010, she did 
note as a footnote that, in fact, he had the larger room. But when they moved to D.C., it is true, when she became a judge, she got the larger room. So even though Marty might come off as kind of a blowhard, in reality, he was so quietly, lovingly supportive, had a great time with all of this, was really a forward-thinking man in a world where that's not always the most prominent quality among men even had a good time turning that around and making fun of it by making himself appear to be a blowhard when he really wasn't. Well, let's listen to this fourth movement from a song cycle called The Long View, a portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in nine songs, composed by Patrice Michaels and performed by her. She's accompanied at the keyboard by Kwong Ha Wong. This is a brand new release on Sadie Records. Thank you. <clears throat> My field is tax law Instead of speaking on that exceedingly amusing subject I shall speak on the only significant thing I have done In my long life with Honorable Ruth It is the one case in which we served together Thank <laughs> you. 
horse led to her next career on the As you can see, in bringing that tax case to Ruth's big room, 40 years ago, I changed history for the better. And therefore, I shall claim, I thereby rendered significant service to our nation, all in all. Accomplishment from a case where the tax in dispute totaled exactly $296.70. Thank you. And you've just heard a movement from a song cycle called The Long View. And that was the fourth movement called On Working Together. And it's from a brand new CD release called Notorious RBG and Song. And the composition is by Patrice Michaels, who sang it, and she was accompanied at the piano by Kwang Ha Wong. And that story, Jim, is going to have a different twist coming up. What is it? Well, it's going to be very well known starting in October because it's the subject of a feature film starring Felicity Jones and Army Hammer called On the Basis of Sex. And it's actually the story of the case that you just heard about in this song. It's a screenplay by my cousin, Daniel Steepleman. Who I also want to thank because Daniel read my letter about Celia and helped me tweak it from a dramatic point of view. And I really appreciate that. More family life. It's great. Amazing. There's also a movie coming out next week, isn't there? Oh, well, (laughs) by the time this podcast airs, the RBG documentary will have already been in theaters for a a little while. I can highly recommend it. (laughs) So that was the fourth movement on working together. We talked about Anita's story earlier, and that brings us to the sixth movement. We'll just talk briefly about the next three movements, and then we're going to hear the last movement epilogue. So the sixth movement, New York. New York, 1961. It's really fun for me that I was able to find something so pithy for each of Ruth's closest people. We've talked about Martin, we've talked about Morris and Celia. James has his own song in which he hijacks an elevator in his elementary school and gets in big trouble for that. But just before that, his older sister Jane is about six. This is before Jim was even born. She's on a play date in New York, and she overhears her friend's mother say, be nice to Jane, her mommy works. Now, for a lot of people nowadays, that's not a very meaningful statement. But when I was growing up, my mom stayed at home until I was old enough to go to kindergarten, and then she went to work, and there was talk about that in our family. She had some concerns that she was abandoning her children, but she really enjoyed working, and she was proud of the money she brought to the family. So that small statement really just speaks clearly to me about an era in which women were redefining themselves and America's redefining itself. It's actually mostly a piano solo in which the two girls are depicted playing and growing, but that one little statement says it all. Then, of course, we talked about Jim's elevator thievery. 
and how... This is the seventh movement entitled The Elevator Thief. Right. And again, Martin plays a major role in this story because the principal of the Dalton School used to call Mrs. Ginsburg whenever Jamesy got in trouble, which was really often. And one day, Mrs. Ginsburg, the lawyer and the law school professor, had been up all night preparing a brief, actually, I think, to argue before the Supreme Court. And she had had it up to here. So when she got this particular call from the principal, she said, you know what? This kid has two parents. From now on, starting right now, you're going to call alternating parents. It's his dad's turn. So dad got the call. He said, oh, you want me to come to school for his latest transgression? And his mom said to call, ha, ha, okay, no problem, I'm coming. And then, of course, it turned out that he had stolen the elevator one floor. How can you steal an elevator? We'll have to hear the lyrics. I'm right. wondering myself how you steal Right. Do well, that. when you have an old-fashioned elevator, you have an operator, someone who stands right. in there and runs the thing. When the operator's gone, then you go in and you shut the door yourself and you run the thing. But if you only take it up one floor and the janitor's there when you open the door, then you don't get very far which was Martin's point of view. He heard this story from these three stone-faced principals and assistants, and he said, well, how far could he take it? So apparently after that, the calls diminished in their frequency. Even though my behavior did not necessarily improve. You should see the twinkle in his eye when he said (laughs) that. How old were you when you stole the elevator? I think I was about eight or nine at this incident. I see. Well, that's the seventh movement, The Elevator Thief. And then the eighth movement, just before we get to the last one, dissenter of the universe. Yes, well, that's... <laughs> as a dissenter. Right, dissenter of dissents. the universe. We came up with that tongue-in-cheek title, the center of the universe, dissenter of the universe, because it just seemed so apt. Because for a while there, she was really having to write and speak very directly on many cases at the court. And I was so fortunate to have Shana Kiznick and Erin Carmen's beautiful layout of the dissenting opinions in their book, Notorious RBG, which is, of course, where Notorious RBG and song originates from. They have codified and simplified the dissents in such a way that I was able to focus in on what I really wanted to present in song and create a reasonably lengthed and clear expression musically of what she is saying when she's reading one of her dissents at the court. For me, that's actually the heart of, well, it's the brains of the cycle. The heart of the cycle is all the people around her, but this is the brains of the cycle, the eighth movement. And finally, we have epilogue, and it's subtitled The Long View, Questions Answered. We're going to hear this one, actually. It's a short movement. We'll hear all of it. Tell us a bit about this last movement in your song cycle. This is the only song in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's own voice. Of course, we hear from Justice Ginsburg in her professional capacity delivering her dissents. But this last song is the only song that Ruth Bader Ginsburg uses her own personal voice to speak in. I love that there's so much about her that you learn along the way. And finally, you get to hear her speak really as a current elderly person, looking back on a very long career, still having that career. And an interviewer asks her, what do you think a president should look for in a Supreme Court justice? 
So that gives her a beautiful jumping off point to talk about things that have been fun, things that have been difficult. But also someone else had just asked her a question about how she manages to deal with all of the friction among people uh, at the court. And also just before she launches into her discussion of her own experiences, someone else had tagged on a question, how does she deal with the polarization that appears to be happening between various individuals on the court? So after she's talked about her own life, she says, oh, and the other question was, oh, yes, about polarization. And rather than using words to go on explaining how she feels about that, I enjoyed inserting her experience of operatic music. She's absolutely in love with opera and with the feeling of singing and wishes if she could have any other career that she would be, as she likes to call it, a great opera diva. So instead of answering in words how she manages polarization, she answers in vocalese to finish the cycle. Let's listen to the final movement from The Long View, a portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in nine songs, composed by Patrice Michaels. That's the voice of Patrice Michaels we've been talking with. He's also the soloist on this album and accompanied at the keyboard by Kwang Ha Wang. This is from a brand new CD release, Notorious RBG in Song. Thank you. 
about polarization. Epilogue, the last movement of a wonderful song cycle entitled The Long View, a portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in nine songs, written and performed by Patrice Michaels, who's joined us in the studio. And we've been talking about a wonderful new CD album called Notorious RBG in Song, and Patrice is accompanied at the keyboard by Kwang Ha Wong. And we should mention, by the way, that any recording on CD can be purchased on Sadie's website, which is sadirecords.org. That's C-E-D-I-L-L-E. You can order the CD to be delivered to your home, or you can download it. And if you download it, you get the complete booklet. There are actually two booklets that you can get, the booklet which describes all the pieces and the biographies of the performers, etc., and then a separate one with all of the lyrics to the songs. Patrice, there are four other compositions on the album, we should mention, in addition to yours. Tell us a bit about them. It's so wonderful to have a full hour of music that is totally devoted to one person and one personality in all of her facets. Although one song was not actually written for Ruth, I just love it that Lori Laitman's song, Whiter Than the Sky, on a text of Emily Dickinson, was written for Lori's own mother-in-law. So it's not surprising to me that I immediately gravitated to that song back five years ago when I was preparing to sing the birthday party. I wanted a couple of other things, and I thought, oh, I love this text. It really describes Ruth and how broad and brilliant she is. And then when I looked at the inscription from Lori, I noticed that it was for her own (laughs) mother-in-law. So she very graciously allowed us to include that song among these. And that's called Wider Than the Sky by Lori Laitman, and then? Right. And, of course, we have Vivian Fung's wonderful song, which was also sung that night at the 80th birthday party and was a gift based on Jane Ginsburg's facetious representation of a pot roast recipe by her mother. And it's actually a roast of her mother during an evening in which you might find Ruth burning the pot roast while she's correcting her children's homework and doing her own work at the same time. And of course, Ruth was retired from the kitchen by popular acclaim. Or as my father said, by her children who had taste. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called Pot Roast a la RBG by Vivian Fung. So we'll hear an excerpt from the next piece on the album. It's by Chicago-based composer Stacey Garrup. And this is the third of the three songs that were that 80th birthday gift. Stacey had a text that is really remarkable. I am still amazed that Justice Ginsburg was willing to share this very personal last letter given to her by her husband, which actually, Jim, you might want to explain. We found this in my father's hospital room in Johns Hopkins as we were gathering his things to bring him home. In fact, it was his last wish before he stopped talking altogether. He expressed a wish to come home and not pass away in the hospital. So we were gathering together his things, and 
we found actually on one of those yellow legal pads a handwritten letter, which was a love letter to my mother. And it shows the consistent brilliance of this man and the consistent ability to assess what has happened and what is likely to happen. I interpret it very much as a positive expression of his life and their lives together. And Stacy has done so as well. Let's listen to an excerpt from My Dearest Ruth by Stacy Garrup, performed by our guest Patrice Michaels, and she's accompanied at the piano by Huang Hao Wang from a brand new release on Sadie Records.
That was an excerpt from a composition called My Dearest Ruth by Stacy Garrup on this wonderful new CD release called Notorious RBG and Song, performed by our guest, Patrice Michaels. And she's accompanied at the piano by Kwang Ha Wong. Patrice, the notion of the Notorious RBG has become a cultural phenomenon, a meme, as you just told me off mic. What is it about her that inspired you? How does this album fit into this phenomenon? Just take a step back and talk about this album in general. Well, I have to say that many people that I know personally and lots of people that I don't know personally are personally experiencing that she has made a difference in their lives. And I think that's the primary reason why her physical manifestation as a tiny little bubby who looks so frail and so normal in some ways, but who packs such an incredible intellectual wallop. I think that's why she speaks to so many people, because she has the staying power over an incredible number of years and through an incredible number of challenges to keep working hard to be fair. She's one of the most fair-minded people I know. I love how the mind is always working. If people saw the Stephen Colbert clips of her exercising with him, of course he tried to make himself look ridiculous and make her as humorless as possible. But he used the hot dog metaphor. Okay, is a hot dog on a bun a sandwich or not? And her eyes just lit up, and she looked at him and she said, okay, you define a sandwich, and I'll tell you whether it's a sandwich or not. That way of thinking is constant. If she's breathing, she's thinking. I just love it. She inspires everyone. And even tiny little children, they get it. They want to be like her. So what's not to love? And before we get to the last excerpt on this podcast, I have to say there's a little bonus for anybody listening to this, and that's your notes, your day in the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I have to say just floored me. It's in the booklet to the recording. It's called The Point of a Day in the Life of Notorious RBG. To me, it's one of the highlights of the album. Wow. Thanks, Steve. That means a lot to me because, frankly, when I saw her sharpening her pencils in her office, it really hit me. And this was definitely the place for me to share that. And there well, I should mention the booklet also contains a lot of wonderful pictures and photos of mom and family and friends and the booklet itself is almost a work of art. Well, that's a double reason for rushing out to get this album, Notorious RBG and Song. It's a new release on CD, and I should have been mentioning all along. By the way, the cover, is that a Bactel? It's a Tom Bactel. Yeah. Thanks so much to this wonderful New Yorker cartoonist who happens to live in Chicago and happens to love classical music and is a dear friend to CD. So there's so many reasons to buy this album. For all of the music you've been hearing and... It's all about a wonderful woman, Supreme Court justice. Uh, it's got wonderful notes. And as I say, the introduction that you wrote about the day in the life of RBG is just very moving and quite beautiful. But of course, the main reason is the music. Let's listen to an excerpt from the last piece on the album called You Are Searching in Vain for a Bright Line Solution uh, by Derek Wang. Tell us about this, Patrice. Derek is a lawyer. Derek is a classical music lover. And Derek is a composer. So, of course, he had to write an operatic pasticcio 
about Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg and their famous friendship and their famous rivalry as thinkers. So this aria is a no-holds-barred tour de force that includes operatic quotations, new operatic material, jazz waltz of extreme proportions, followed by a gospel tune with some incredible high notes, and we come all the way back around to some operatic music as Ruth explains. You, Justice Scalia, are searching in vain for a bright line solution to the problem of how to read the Constitution. There is such a thing as flexible law. La, 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 la. La, 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 <laughs> which is how we end. Let's listen to an excerpt from this last piece on this wonderful album performed by Patrice Michaels, and she's accompanied at the piano by Kwang Ha Wong. This is music by Derek Wang. And we can't wait for slow legislation to catch up with the lives that we already lead. We have rights and they need preservation and we have to remember that if we intend to succeed though we won't excerpt from the last song on this wonderful new album called Notorious RBG and Song. It was music by Derek Wang. Excerpt from his piece entitled You Are Searching in Vain for a Bright Line Solution from Scalia Ginsburg. Patrice, before we let you go, what projects are you currently working on that are podcast fans should know about? Well, I hope if they like the style of music that they hear on Notorious RBG and Song, and on my previous disc, Intersection, Jazz Meets Classical Song, that they might enjoy 
a song cycle that I'm working on based on the concept of grief, which will not all be sad, by the way. That's a simpler project, but then I have two projects, one of which is probably a chamber opera, and it has to do with a historical character whom I didn't realize was connected to Chicago, and that is Tokyo Rose, or the phenomenon of Tokyo Rose, as I should say, because it's more than one person. And I would actually like to call out to all of you who are listening, if you know people who know that family in Chicago, I wish you would contact me through my website because I would like to gather as much material as I can before I start writing. And what is your website? PatriceMichaels.com. Of course. Simply, yes. Uh, Patrice, to end the podcast, we always ask our guests what makes the Chicago music scene so special. And the reason we ask that is because CD Records is based in Chicago and its mission is to record music by Chicago composers and performed by Chicago musicians. So this is a pretty special town. What's special about it to you? There is so much about Chicago that is amazing for a musician. Little did I know when I ruled out New York City and ruled out San Francisco and said, you know what, I'm coming to Chicago. Little did I know that Sadie Records is a model for recording that really doesn't exist anywhere else. I was a younger singer, and I wasn't sure I was going to sing, but I found the collegiality here and the level of musicianship to be really high, and I just felt like I would have a great experience doing all the variety of music that I really wanted to do. I wasn't necessarily pigeonholed into just Baroque music or just new music. I really love that about this city, and that holds true today. I'm very impressed by that. And of course, Sadie, although I didn't realize at the time I came here just how special it was, boy, do I realize it now. It's a remarkable achievement, the opportunity to do exactly what I want to do artistically and have it supported to this level is just Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Jim Ginsberg, husband of our guest, producer of the album, and son of the person we're talking about with Peter Ginsberg. Any closing remarks? Well, at my wife's urging, I also have a personal note in the album where I get to talk about what a labor of love this whole project was on just so many levels. And I really love it that, you know, we've been recording Patrice as a singer, as a performer, what, almost a quarter century? And no. I, I would like to insert here that, in fact, Sorry. we've only been married for seven years, and our relationship was purely professional and friendly until shortly before then. It's... Uh, Amazing to me that this turn of events has occurred as well. So we've been making albums since 1991, actually, was the first recording session. Uh, I didn't know her at the time. She was actually invited by the chamber group I was recording to do a work with them. But once I discovered her, immediately I realized what a remarkable singer she was and that we really wanted to be recording her more often. And now to be able to help Patrice develop this new aspect of her career as a composer is really exciting uh, to do it with a project that's so personal is just the icing on the cake. And what a cake it is. And anyone listening to this podcast should know that, of course, you can purchase the album anywhere you want, but especially at cdrecords.org, and that's C-E-D-I-L-L-E, and you can purchase it as an old-fashioned CD that comes in plastic, or you can download it from the site. And, of course, the booklet that we've been talking about, of course, is also downloadable. So that's two different ways to experience this wonderful new album. Patrice Michaels, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Steve. Jim Ginsberg, thank you for being here. And we've been talking about this new album, 
Notorious RBG and Song, the latest release on Sadie Records. I'm Steve Robinson, and thank you for listening.